How's it going, everybody? This is Chris, and welcome to uh, what might be the shortest ever episode of X Lapsed. <laughs> this is going to be episode number 24, and the reason it might be short is because it's, uh, well, the subject today is Fallen Angels number two. And, uh, well, there's just not a whole lot to say about this one. Um, <laughs> this is uh, Fallen Angels volume two, number two, at a January 2020 cover date. We'll hop right in. Uh, the story is called Shoto, written by Brian Hill, with art by Simon Kudransky. Colors by Frank D'Armada, letters by VC's Joe Sabino. Designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits Robinson White Sobolski. This had a cover price of $3.99 and went on sale November 27th, 2019. Now we hop right in. We open in London and we're in the past. We see Quanan is chatting up a fellow who is looking for safe passage. He apparently betrayed the clan, who I'm assuming uh, she's talking about the hand here. Uh, she tells the man she can free him before, you know, killing him. She smashes a glass into his face and eyes before running him through with her katana. Huh. A katana is a sword, isn't it? Hmm. Then, a pair of gun-wielding goofballs enter the scene, but Quanan is able to neutralize them handily by, uh, you know, chopping them into bits and then uh, stomping one down in a double-page spread. Speaking of double-page spreads, the credits are next, followed by our roll call. So let's meet our cast for this issue. We got Psylocke, of course, that is Quanan, X-23, Kid Cable, Dazzler, and Mr. Sinister. So is Dazzler joining the team? Is she going to be a fallen angel? Well, we'll find out. Now we resume actual comics content, and we're in the present on Krakoa. Psylocke and X-23 are talking about trust in what feels like a very convenient little conversation. Uh, Psylocke is basically talking in riddles, which comes across as uh, like really wanting to sound deep, um, when in all actuality... It just sounds like uh, somebody's trying to impress their ninth grade creative writing teacher. Um, we get lines like, I'll show you how to be a master, but even still, every master is still a slave. And come on. Uh, now, after baffling Laura with BS, Psylocke breaks away to chat up Kid Cable at Carousel. So the, uh, the mutants are still dancing. No, the dance party has not ended yet. Uh, Psylocke finds Cable and asks why he still subjects himself to this weird dance party if he's not going to join in. He says something along the lines of wanting to feel what the others feel, sort of by osmosis. He then reveals that he did some digging on Overclock, which uh, I honestly forgot all about. Now we learn that the, the town of Sao Mateus in Brazil is currently on fire. 
We can see some large spidery mechs terrorizing a tiny town. Uh, those people have been enslaved by an overclock cartel. Even the children, whose uh, tiny hands and fig- fingers make them a great asset for something, I guess. You know, on that subject, or sort of on that subject, my wife recently got me to start watching Breaking Bad. Uh, this is a show I've avoided successfully for like a decade now. So now, you know, as a guy on the internet who's watched a couple episodes of Breaking Bad, I'm more or less an expert on making drugs, right? They, they, you know, from all the circles I've heard Breaking Bad discussed in, you become an expert on making drugs if you watch a couple episodes of that show. Uh, but still, I don't know what tiny fingers have to do with drug making. Maybe we'll learn something new. Anywho, little Nate wants to uh, wants their unnamed team of oddballs and misfits to head to Sal Mateus to rescue the kiddos. Psylocke ain't feeling it. Now, she comments that each time they leave Krakoa, they're making a risk of the island itself turning against them. And so, they're going to need to pick their battles now more than ever. You know, if they choose to leave the island, if it's up to Psylocke, it's going to be in pursuit of Apoth. And Apoth is, uh, of course, the fella we were introduced to, or sort of introduced to last issue. Cable is rightfully annoyed and threatens to head there on his own. Then Dazzler. Hey, I'm sure she's going to do something amazing here, considering she got herself a little character tile on the roll call page. She actually does not. Um, worth noting, for fellow lapsed fans, Dazzler is back in a more more classic getup. Because uh, the last time I saw her, she had like this sort of like punk rock look with a half-shaved head, which actually looked even more dated than her disco duds. It felt very, very past its sell-by date. Uh, anyway, Dazzler encourages Psylocke to embrace the joy of Krakoa and, you know, have a good time with friends. Psylocke agrees that she could use a friend and then walks away. Is, is this high school creative writing? Is it? Oh, well, how would you like an info page? How about two info pages? Because we got two. Uh, first, a page discussing the way of the hand, which was... Uh, Quite boring. Second, a more flowery version of the same, which, while still boring, is at least far a fair amount shorter. Back to comics, and we are back to flashback land, but now we're in Japan. Now, after a bit of a chase, a woman has crashed her car into a light post. She finds herself surrounded by a gaggle of Cobra Commander-looking goofs with their guns drawn. Not for long, though, because someone with a big ol' katana is there to save the day. And so, body parts are just flying everywhere. This is, of course, Quanan. She takes the woman to safety, fills her in on the situation. Uh, you know, she, Psylocke, that is, reveals that she just killed this woman's husband. So we can probably assume that uh, this is the goober from the opening flashback she's talking about. She further reveals that she was also contracted to kill this woman. So she's going to kill the husband, who she already killed, and she was supposed to kill the wife. But she ain't going to do it. Now, you see, our hero touched the fella's mind before killing him, and since he lied for and died for this woman and their unborn child, Quanan has decided to show a bit of mercy. She also gives the woman a bunch of money and a boot in the ass out of Japan. We learn that this woman did not get too far. She was captured, tortured, and killed. But she never spilled the beans that Quanan tried to save her. From here, we go into another flashback. Flashback inside a flashback. A few panels from Quanan's youth, and we get a, 
they, they talk about butterflies a bit. You know how this book is. To the present, Psylocke is at Bar Sinister, and they're talking about butterflies. Now, Quinan reveals that she hates that butterflies are something that she and Betsy Braddock ever had in common. Sinister grants her passage off the island and assures her that he is her ally. And so, we meet up with Quinan at Cable's house. She agrees to accompany him to Sal Mateus. Oh, and, and X-23 is coming, too. Quinan states that she wants to teach Cable about war, and X-23 about rage. And all she wants is, in exchange is to learn from them about... Goodness. Goodness, indeed. Um, we wrap up this issue in Sal Mateus. Cable does a scan... And then our ramshackle trio finds themselves under attack by a giant spidery mech. So that is a wrap for our Dawn of X number twos. So, uh, I'd say let's talk about this, but there isn't a whole lot to say, is there? Uh, <laughs> this was kind of a nothing issue, wasn't it? Um... I'm sitting here, and I, you know, I know we have a head of X, right? We've got uh, we've got Hickman here, who's who's steering the ship, and I'm sure he's giving the writers a little bit of guidance on on things he wants included, so we can get to a a, a merging point, right? Because I'm sure, you know, we have Sword of X's that's gonna or X, however the hell you say the name, X of Swords, Ten of Swords, X of Tens, uh, as Jason puts it. Um, so I'm sure that there's going to be some some cohesion, right? Some cohesive sort of a fiber running through this. So I'm trying to think about what the point of the series is, if there even is one. Um, I did note a few times during the uh, proceedings that Quinan wielded a big old katana. So maybe those are seeds being planted for exosoids? I mean, I almost have to assume that's the case. Otherwise, what, what could the point of this possibly be? I mean, who's asking for this? <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I really didn't care about the care for this one. I was uh, very optimistic about the first one, or maybe too optimistic for the first issue here. Um, while it wasn't completely up my alley, you know, I, I try to temper my scores uh, by reconciling that not everything's going to be written for me. So I try to. And I don't even score things. I just try to frame my mind right, I guess. Now, if you're a regular listener, you might recall that the last few times we covered X-Force, I mentioned that I thought Ben Percy, the writer, can be sort of kind of unsubtle with his methods, right? I, I've, I've mentioned that. Um, you know, this Fallen Angel story, though... I hate to do, like, the old internet meme here, but it, it, it wants X-Force to hold its beer. I feel like the level of depth, preciousness, and melodrama we're letting Quinan indulge in is wholly unearned, and as such, it feels wildly forced. It's trying hard, maybe too hard, to be poignant. But, uh, you know, as Damien mentioned in his feedback for the first issue of Fallen Angels, it really just feels like a holdover from the mid-90s. Uh, I don't know who the story might be aimed at, but unfortunately I'm not part of that group of people. I will maintain, however, that the art fits the tone of the book, and I really enjoy Kodransky's stuff. Um, but I mean, other than that, I mean, is there anything else to, to say? Uh, 
you know, maybe if I spent a little bit more time unraveling the repetitive and inane butterfly chatter, I'd find something, but... I mean, I was sort of over that last issue. Um, I I was hopeful that we'd start seeing more members join this uh, unnamed team here, especially, you know, we see Dazzler in the roll call box, you know? Not that I'm a huge fan of Dazzler or anything, but I just feel like she could have been... Maybe a fun addition, you know, uh, to a book that features three very serious and navel-gazy sorts of characters here. Throw Dazzler in there for some comic relief, you know? Throw, throw her in there for maybe just as a point-of-view character who isn't up their own ass like these other characters can be. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, I do have all the issues. I've been getting them as they've been coming out. I haven't read them, but uh, I don't recall seeing anybody but our big three on any of the remaining covers, so... I guess time will tell whether or not their ranks increase. Um, but unfortunately, and I hate being negative, I uh, I would be much more comfortable sitting on my fence, as I usually do. But uh, this isn't for me. But in the interest of completionism, and only in the interest of completionism, we will see this through till its end here. We only have four more issues to go. We're a third of the way through it. So we're getting there. And, and you know what? Hey, I've been proven wrong before. I've been proven I've been proven wrong more times than I've been proven right. So maybe the next issue will hit and it'll just it'll just knock me for a loop and I'll love it. Fingers crossed. <laughs> we'll see. In uh we'll see, you know, in about a week how we're feeling about that. Uh but that's it for uh the number twos. Next, we uh We've got our milestone 25th episode of, of X-Lapsed here. I'm thinking holofoil, chromium-plated, you know, maybe die-cut. We'll, uh, we'll do it up good here, and it's going to feature our first Dawn of X number 3 with X-Men. But before I let you guys go, do you have a bit of feedback we're going to hit today? Now, we'll start with Damien. He's discussing X-Men number 2. And he says, I've definitely got less to say as we move on. This issue is really just set up for X of Swords. The whole Summoner stuff lost me. Why should I care who this is? The whole Reuniting Islands can't feel significant as we had only a few weeks to process the split, which was a tiny element of a previous story. Now, if you haven't listened to the uh, episode where we discussed X-Men number two, the whole gimmick there is that Krakoa was searching out this island that appeared, this uh, reef uh, or coral that showed up. And, uh, you know, the X-Men didn't know what was going on. They didn't know why Krakoa would be attracted to this island because they don't know Krakoa's origin like we do. And uh, basically what it wanted to do was either bang and or merge with this, you know, this coral. And uh, we found out that the island was split during Hoxpox, right? And uh, Damien's point here is excellent because uh, it's like almost soap operatic in the pacing. Um... Now, I've talked a bit on this channel about how you know my, my wife got me to start watching Days of Our Lives like 15 years ago. We watch it every day, every single weekday. We watch Days of Our Lives without fail. Um, and this reveal or story beat feels very much like something out of that, you know, as it pertains to pacing. Not so much in story. Nothing, nothing quite as interesting as islands banging and merging happens on days, unfortunately. But, uh... In, in the soap opera here, if a character is set to come back, you know, a character you haven't seen in a while, or if a particular beat of a story is about to change, suddenly, like, all the dialogue becomes about that character or that beat, right? 
you'll have like a couple of characters sitting at the at the cafe or the pub and they'll say, oh, I wonder what Sammy might think of this. And you think to yourself, well, Sammy hasn't been on the show for four years. So now that they're talking about her again in passing, well, she's probably going to show up within the next few days and without fail. That's generally the case. Now here we have this new origin for Krakoa, which, you know, it was only a, a couple of weeks ago, like Damien said, that we found out that Krakoa was... Uh, it was split in the first place So this is definitely a quick revisit And it kind of takes the oomph Out of the original beat, uh, for sure It's a You know, make us wait for stuff Like that, right? Not that it's a huge thing, but still uh, Back to Damien, he says The thing most jarring to me about this issue Is the Rachel-Cable relationship Surely there should be acknowledgement That Baby Cable was part raised by An older Ra- Rachel, and that young Rachel Knew a much older Cable and uh, yes, yeah, I mentioned that during the uh, during the discussion there. That they they really fell into that, like sort of you know the squabbling siblings uh, mold, right? And uh, to me, I took that as just like another bit of the the uncanny summer house tone, you know. It feels to me like we looked at that issue in issue one of X Men. We had like the summer house dinner scene, and then in X Men two we had the summer's family. You know, outing here And it feels to me that these characters Aren't necessarily in character It's almost like They're just playing roles I mean Rachel and Cable is like The archetype for the silly squabbling siblings And uh, so that's exactly How they're going to pay it, play it Just like Scott, you know, he falls into that That archetypical Silly sitcom dad mold You know, it really feels to me Like And I don't know everything about the Resurrections. I know only what I've read. Like, is did Xavier do something? Is Xavier putting putting expectations in where it's like it's like, well, no, you're the dad. You act like this, and so Cyclops is going to start acting like like he's you know talking to a laugh track. You know, it feels very very weird. I almost hope that's the case because otherwise. Otherwise, these characters are just not what they have ever been before, you know? At least, they're not as deep as they were before. They're just taking these very, very silly elements and putting them at the forefront. Now, back to uh, Damien. He says, by the way, I've been reading X of Swords as Cross of Swords. I did ask how we pronounce it, right? Um, Now, he says Cross of Swords, implying a battle, and he says... But I have no idea what the intention is I doubt it's ten, but you never know And then a little bit later on he wrote And said, I just read the first issue of X of Swords And it is ten According to the story, it's a tarot card Apparently anything I say Is as likely to be true as your guesses So, yeah, I didn't I I heard some people say ten I've seen some people say X and cross That's probably the best take I've heard so far Because it actually makes sense Um I will probably keep saying X of Swords because, I mean, it is an X there, right? It, it, it is a letter X, and also I'm an idiot. Um, I figure maybe I'll just start calling these books like Ten Force or Ten Men. You know, giant size Ten Men, Ten Factor. Uh, hey, we got Fallen Angels. I'll call Laura Ten Twenty Three, right? <laughs> Do that to really make people uh, kind of squirm in their seats and think that I'm a complete horse's ass, but... Uh, Yes, uh, thank you so much for the uh, the email, Damien. Um, 
and yeah, there will be as as I proved today with this episode, there will be far less to say about some of these issues as we uh, as we move on. Uh, not every single one of them is going to be destination reading, and unfortunately, Fallen Angels number two, well, it fallen into that trap. Uh, but thank you so much, Damien. Our next piece comes from Jason Colby here. He says, "Hi again, Chris." Here's a few things I thought about when listening to your X-lapsed coverage of Marauders Number Two, or when reading Marauders Number Two that sprung up, uh, that sprung from a randomly firing neuron when I typed this. I'm having a beer while I knock this out, so apologies for any rambling, and feel free to edit ruthlessly if you end up wanting to give any of this nonsense airtime. And of course, I'm—I don't edit things. <laughs> I don't even edit my own stammering, so I'm not gonna—I'm not going to edit every anything out. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Jason's first point, the X-Desk data pages. Now, of course, that was in Marauders number two. We got a letter from the X-Desk uh, discussing the exploits of, uh, of Captain Kate's, uh, you know, crew. And Jason says, I think this is a pretty good gimmick. Uh, minor spoiler, this isn't the last one we'll see. It gives the writer a nice way to show how the human world, specifically from the American direction, is reacting to what's going on in Krakoa. We don't otherwise get a lot of human POV in these books. Also an opportunity to get in some quick exposition and to seed things to pay off in comic pages later on. And yeah, I did enjoy the, uh, I, I, I think I said I enjoyed it. I, I don't remember. <laughs> it's been so long. But uh, the X-Desk from, uh, you know, from the feds, I think that's a cool way to do it. And, and to Jason's point, uh, it does give a different, uh, it does give a different point of view. Like, all we're seeing is what's happening. We don't know how it's being spun. We don't know how it's being explained to people in power. We don't know how... We, we just don't know how it's being presented. So these give us an opportunity to see that. And maybe, as Jason said, maybe it is seeding things that we'll be able to see play out later on. So yes, the X-Desk is fine. I'm, I'm down with that. Um, Batrock! <laughs> Yes, he's become one of the go-to joke villains. Who else belongs in that group? The Trapster? Kite Man over at the Distinguished Competition? Who else? Anyway, it was nice to see Batrock taken seriously recently. In issue number six of the current Black Cat, everyone's favorite master of the French martial arts savant goes on a date with Felicia Hardy. And then they go steal something together. Hey, it's important for a couple to have common interests. And that actually sounds like it might be a fun issue. Um, I... I've said it before. You know, I said it when we when we covered Marauders number two. The when I see someone use Batrock, I usually assume that the writer is just standing there, sitting there, you know, rubbing their hands together, waiting for the memes to start pouring in. Just like, just like Kite Man. You know, just like Paste Pot Pete. You know, it's those those ha ha random characters that we see uh, that uh, that social media seems to take such a such a shine to. Um, teams. Jason's next point is about teams. He says, You mentioned this episode that you were surprised at, at the lack of any real teams in what you thought might be team-based books. Two words. Fear not. So, that's good. Uh, Dallas is right. Now, uh, this is Jason. He says, I'm going to agree with your correspondent, Dallas, that the series of one-shots nature of X-Men is working well for me. At the beginning of Dawn of X, Hickman said something to the effect that he was going to use the main X-Men book to showcase Cyclops, and to use him to peek in at different aspects of the new status quo. So far, it's been pretty effective, but I can see how some readers might get annoyed when a storyline set up in another book doesn't get the payoff there, but get res gets resolved in the X-Men book instead. And yeah, that's kind of... 
that's kind of you know <laughs> you take the grizzle with the meat right it's a uh, because I, I would complain about that if I wasn't so, you know, in, set in my ways where I want all these books to kind of bleed into one another. I want I want stuff like, you know, Xavier's passing in one book to be addressed in all the other books. I come from that time, you know, that my X-Men were, were the 1990s where they were basically a fiefdom onto themselves. You know, they never really left their yard, but all the books were interconnected or all the books referenced one another. So you could... It's like you had to read everything, basically, because, you know, for several months out of the year, they would be literally crossing over, (laughs) but for the rest of the time, you know, stuff would be addressed, you know, or if if X-Force was staying at uh, at Xavier's mansion... You might see X-Force in the background of an X-Men issue, or, or there might be a scene where, where Sam talks to Scott, you know? You'd see stuff like that. But I like that. I like that, but I can definitely see how a reader, a new reader, perhaps, would be very, very irritated. That if if they picked X-Force as their book, or if they, God forbid, picked Fallen Angels as their book, and... Uh, and whatever comes up isn't solved there, and but you'd have to buy an issue of X-Men instead, I could definitely see that being annoying. For sure, for sure. Uh, from here, Jason shares with us his brief X-History. He says, Last time I wrote in, you were surprised that anyone would have Hox, Pox, Docs be their first experience reading X-Books. Really more a matter of timing than anything else. I only started really reading comics around 2016. The first comic I subscribed to as it came out was Tom King's Vision, and then I found my way to DC stuff when they had their rebirth. And then I started listening to the Weird Science DC Comics podcast and first heard you and Reggie doing your thing. I think you two were on the Young Animal beat at that point. And uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening. It's always it's always cool to, to see another uh, member of the uh, GFC, you know. Um, the uh, That Young Animal... Um, I'll finish. I'll finish uh, Jason's point here, but I do want to discuss a little bit about the young animal and what that taught me about uh, about the the current year reviewing process. Um, Jason continues, as you might recall, the mid 2010s were kind of a dark time for the X Men. When the blue and gold books got their start, I took a peek, but nothing there hooked me. There seemed to be multiple young and old instances of just about every character running around simultaneously, and then there was a vampire running a school in Central Park, and yeah, it didn't grab me. But then I looked in again when Jonathan Hickman took over, and here we are. I'll go back someday and read the classic runs, but right now my knowledge of back history is severely limited. So a couple of things I want to talk about there. Um, First, uh... I think it was last episode when we were, uh, I was covering Damien's message about Fallen Angels number one, and I talked about how I have like a current year comics cushion when I discuss a book. I try to be, I try to like crank up the optimism a little bit because it's kind of how you have to be um, with current year books. Young Animal uh, taught me about that because there was a book from Young Animal, and I've talked about it a few times. I actually have a whole episode of Chris's on Infinite Earths about this very event. I think it was episode 12 in the archives. Um, Mother Panic was a book for Young Animal. It introduced a brand new character. It was written by Jody Hauser, and she had a rotating cast of artists. Um, and at first, Reggie and I didn't care for it. We did not care for it, but we were always very, very careful about how we expressed that. 
we wouldn't say this is a bad book. We would not say this book sucks. We would not say we hate this book. We would say something along the lines of, we're not the audience for this book. Kind of like I said today with Fallen Angels number two. Mother Panic was a book that we wanted to like because it was a brand new character and we don't get those very often in comics. But we didn't like it at first. We eventually came around to really, really enjoying the book toward the uh, like the second two-thirds of the run and then into the follow-up miniseries, which we adored. We adored it, but the thing of it is, we were working for Weird Science at that time, and they they used a you know an X out of ten rating system to kind of fall in line with the, you know the comic book roundup groups and all that kind of stuff. So while saying nothing outright bad about Mother Panic, I think I gave the first issue like a six point five out of ten. Said you know there is an audience for this book. Unfortunately, it's not me. Well, people. When you write for a site that uses a number rating scale, you might find that a lot of your audience doesn't bother to read the review, but only reads the number. So, I could have been saying any number of things in these reviews, but the fact that I gave it a 6.5 out of 10 was enough for people to decide that I was public enemy number one. I was a misogynist because I would not say anything nice about a book that a woman wrote. I was every ist you could imagine. People came to uh, my blog, Chris's on Infinite Earths, and bombarded me. It might have just been one person, but I was bombarded with comments calling me out, and but not, not in a constructive sort of way, and not in a way that really invited any follow-up or like a response. It was basically just telling me I was the worst person on the planet, and uh, in very vulgar sorts of ways. And... Uh, you know, I learned then and there. It's like, wow, you know, um, you almost have to, you have to overcorrect. And uh, I've never lied in a review since then, but uh, but that's where my cushion comes in, you know. So instead of a 6.5, I might give it the cushion. And it's like, well, okay, well, it's not for me. But if you, this is your sort of book, you'd probably like it. So maybe it's a 7.5. Or if I'm in a really good mood in eight, <laughs> you know, um, that's that really informed the way I did current year reviews. Um, that's kind of why with these issues, some of them haven't been for me, but I I have trouble saying anything outright negative about it. You know, um, of course, we're doing this in Fallen Angels number two, where I think I was maybe a little mean. I don't know, but I, I was honest. <laughs> That's the thing. Um, but uh, the Young Animal series of uh, podcasts that is available here at the uh, Chris and Reggie channel at the archives, chrisandreggie.podbean.com. There are 18 episodes covering every single book from Young Animal from uh, 2016 to 2019, I think. Uh, we didn't do the second wave, of course, but uh, we did the entire first wave um, through Milk Wars and into the uh, miniseries and... It's about a 30-hour-long playlist, so if you have 30 hours to spare, give them a shot. <laughs> it's, if you ever if you want to hear me drop my first F-bomb, and I think last F-bomb, it's in the Young Animal Gathering. You can hunt it down there. Uh, <laughs> but to uh, Jason's other point, he says something here which, 
as a tenured fan of the X-Men bothered me, and I could not imagine how a new reader would take to this. He says here, there seem to be multiple young and old instances of just about every character running around simultaneously. Boom. That was... That was crap. (laughs) You know? We had the original five, then we had the other original five. We had Old Man Logan. It was ridiculous how many versions of the same characters we had running around. And uh, I couldn't imagine a brand new reader coming in trying to navigate that and uh, trying to realize the significance of it. I'd been reading this for a quarter century at that point, and I couldn't figure out the significance of it, and it made me run away for the first time ever. I ran away with the intention of never, ever coming back. So yes, (laughs) like Jason, nothing hooked me there either, pal. (laughs) Um, Now Jason continues. He says, this is regarding humor in the books. He says, What do you think about how humor has been used in the Dawn of X book so far? I can't think of many times when it's been deployed well. And lots of times when the dialogue was clearly supposed to be guffaw-inducing, but left me either cold or actively cringing. Okay, Kitty trying to waltz through a gate, but instead busting her nose on it did make me smile, but only because I'm a bad person. Her whole mutant deal is being able to walk through things, so having the thing that was most that is porous to every other mutant be rock solid to her is some well-deployed irony. Other than that, I haven't gotten a lot of chuckles from these books. Hadn't really thought about it before, but were there any jokes even attempted in House of X or Powers of X? I can't immediately come up with any. And I think that was a good choice, given the content and tone of those books. Humor in a serious comic can be can be hard to pull off. It's great when it lands, but when it doesn't, it can pull me right out of the world the book, of the book faster than any about, about any other defect. Better not to do humor than to do it poorly. And uh, I'm trying to think here. Um, was there any humor? You know, I could think of when we went to Bar Sinister, right? We went to Bar Sinister, and there was that bit about Magneto's cape. And although I found it wildly out of character for Sinister, it still got me to chuckle. You know, your your cape is fabulous, you know? It was just... Uh, it caught me off guard, which might be the reason why I smiled, but even now I think it was funny. Uh, wildly out of character for the Sinister I knew growing up, but funny. I'm trying to think if there's any other any other jokes here, because I know in these, I couldn't tell you when, because, I mean, this uh, X-Lapsed is probably up to something along the lines of 30 hours itself at this point. I don't know, yeah, I don't know what I've... Uh, when I've pointed out that I've laughed, but I know I've mentioned that I've laughed a couple times, or a handful of times. I just just outright can't remember right now. But uh, but your point is well taken. Um, these are these are serious comics, um, which was what I thought was going to be a turnoff to me. I thought that the serious tone of this uh, new world was just going to be enough to you know kind of push me out. Um, but it's it's held on to me so far But I, I'm trying to think if I can point out anything that was outright funny <laughs> And I can't um, Outside of the cape thing And of course Kitty you know, smashing her face That, that was funny uh, Especially with how, how annoying I found her to be <laughs> Seeing her walk into a wall was kind of funny um, But yeah, I'll, I'll put a pin in that and try to think of... Uh, 
of what made me laugh here, and I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to, you know, remember to to put it in next time. Um, that's the end of uh, Jason's email. He says that's more than too much from me. So until Colossus becomes a pitchman for Rustolium, make mine X lapse. Well, thank you so much for writing in, Jason, and for sharing your thoughts. Uh, it's always it's always a treat when you share your thoughts. I I, I very very much appreciate it. But uh, you know, before we actually close this one out, I almost forgot to do it. But let's rank the number twos here. Let's try to rank. The Dawn of X number twos goes without saying. At the very bottom of that list is Fallen Angels number two. Did not care for it. Um, next would be uh, Excalibur number two. Excalibur number two would be number five. Uh, I think. Yeah, I think Marauders number two would be uh, fourth. Then X Force would be third. Second would be X Men, and uh, New Mutants would be uh, my favorite for this uh, for this uh, second set of books. I was going to say second month, but these were all double shipping. So the second set of books: New Mutants number one, then X Men, then X Force, then Marauders, then Excalibur, then Fallen Angels. So I'd love to hear your guys's lists and uh, see if they match up, or if you guys think I'm completely out of my mind. Either way works fine for me. But uh, <laughs> but thank you, everybody, for uh, taking part and enjoying and hanging out and all that good stuff. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find the show notes and all the stuff at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com or xlapsed.chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. You can find us on Facebook at 90s X-Men, and the complete audio archives are at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And of course, you know, you can find those young animals there, all 30 hours of them, if you want to hear about Doom Patrol, Shade the Changing Girl, Mother Panic, and Cave Carson having an interstellar eye. Well, <laughs> we got them there. Um... But I think that's it for today. Uh, one last time, thank you all so, so much for listening. I very, very much appreciate it. It means, it means so much to me. I, I really, uh, in all seriousness, I, it's hard for me to put into words what it means to me. But uh, thank you all. And uh, till next time, uh, with our big milestone 25th episode, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.